podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Yeah, welcome to episode 137. Today we're going to talk about goals and direction. Actually, I don't even know what we're going to call this one, either goals or direction. I think we'll we'll, we'll find out after this conversation, right? Yeah, probably. And if, if you're watching this on YouTube, we just launched the, the YouTube version of the podcast last week. We have our first YouTube guest. He's a repeat guest. Ladies and gentlemen, TK Coleman is in the building. All right. TK, thank you for being here. We we wanted to drag you back into the studio <laughs> because you are you're leaving Los Angeles soon. Leaving Los Angeles like, soon. I man. felt like we were just becoming friends and then as soon as I get a friend, they move away. You know? <laughs> That's what always happens. I'm I'm taking my talents to South Carolina. That's nice. right. So so let's talk about that. Why why are you going to South Carolina? I and mean, I think your shirt says it mostly. Yeah, yeah, the, the the answer is in the shirt, man. So um, the, the Praxis headquarters have, have uh, always been in Charleston from the beginning, although we are uh, a program where participants live in, you know, all throughout the U.S. We have business partners all throughout the U.S., but uh, the team is getting together, man. Um, we've all been working remotely, building this thing for the last uh, about five years, but now it's time to take everything to the next level, raise the quality of service that we provide to our participants, and uh yeah, just really ramp everything up and really change the education game like we've been trying to. So, so what, it's, awesome. it's time to be physically together as a team. I find it interesting how like with all the technology we have, uh, it's easy to communicate with each other from long distances. But man, there's nothing like being in the same city with your team. I, nothing like it at all. I know, man. Like Josh and I being in LA together. I mean, could you imagine if I was if I stayed behind in Montana? No. And we were trying to work everything yeah. out. Yeah, it, it would be it, it would be crazy. And and. Also, the same the same is true. Like we don't do inter- like traditional interviews on the podcast at all, right? But whenever we bring someone in, it has to be in person, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't get the same thing from talking over Skype. I mean, it, you can you can solve problems over the phone. You can Absolutely. solve problems from miles away, but there you can't replace this sort of in person interaction. So, real quick, TK, before we dive into today's yeah. questions, uh, give us a, a thirty second overview of what Praxis is, since you're 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 leaving Los Angeles to go to South Carolina. Sure. Um, uh, Praxis. What's uh, what's the the elevator pitch on on Praxis? It is a one year boot camp and apprenticeship that helps people launch their careers without college. Yeah, and nice. so so it it really helps people who who are maybe stuck on well what their goals should be, or maybe they've been handed goals by society. I'm supposed to do this four year thing, which is called college, or maybe it's five years, or maybe it's eight years, maybe it's forever in, in, mm-hmm. in some people's cases or maybe some people are like well I know I don't want to go that route but I'm not sure what I want to do you help people sort of navigate the waters of of, of finding their curiosity finding a career and then and then moving on in a in a meaningful direction 
Absolutely. We believe one of the best ways to discover things about yourself is through immersion in the creative process, mm. right? Like we tend to limit ourselves to introspection and nasal gazing, navel gazing, but you've got to engage reality and you got to get feedback from the real world by doing things. So yeah. we place people at an apprenticeship where they work for six months and they do that after graduating the professional boot camp for six months. So there's a lot of opportunity through a combination of professional development projects and real work with real customers, real projects and so forth to uh, to kind of develop that self-knowledge. But it's not limited to that. There are also people who come into the program saying, I know I want to work in marketing. I know I want to work in sales. I know I want to do tech. I know I want to do operations. And uh, we have opportunities and training for those people as well. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, man. Yeah. Do you have like a... Give our audience like a, like your favorite success story with Praxis, Praxis mm. man. Like a student who came in, uh, they you know they went through this year program, and yeah. you know you really got them where they wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, th th there are so many, but I'll I'll give uh, Lydia Hodgson. Um, she's someone that I just saw um, at FeeCon, a conference that we just did this past weekend. And to your point about the difference of seeing people in person. I work with these participants, you know, doing Zoom sessions, Skype sessions, Slack and Facebook and so forth. But there is nothing like being around them. There's nothing like the informal, unplanned conversations that emerge and the sorts of things you find out about people in yeah. that context. Mm -hmm. But one of the beautiful things about her story is before doing the program, she had spent roughly about six months just kind of backpacking and traveling through Europe and just sort of doing some soul searching. And she got all that she could get out of that process and said, I, I know that I need to do something more than this. This this traveling, soul-searching thing is only going to take me so far. And right around that time, she heard about Praxis, and she didn't know what she wanted to do for a career. She didn't know what her dream job was. And she applied for the program. She was accepted and uh, a rock star participant throughout the program. And she was placed at one of our business partners in uh, Pittsburgh, Go Realty. And she moved there to a new city she didn't know anything about. She was scared of that. Am I going to like this place I'm living in? I know nothing about real estate, and I'm not so sure if this is my passion, but I need some experience. I want to learn. And she she just worked with a really great team who really loved her, and she was placed in a position where she was given a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility very early on. Mm -hmm. There were challenges that came up, and they just gave her the keys, and they said, hey, we trust what you can do with it and we trust mm. your ability to learn from it. Let's see what happens. And and she's grown tremendously from that experience. And recently uh, they contacted us and they said, hey, um, can we clone her? You know, <laughs> uh, is there a way that we can just make sure like we, we clone her so that we can just have more and more and more? But they told us, hey, we want to accept more participants in the program because we really like the value that she brings and the mindset mindset that she brings. And to this day, she's still not 100% sure that this is what she wants to do for the rest of her life, but she's learning some valuable skills, she's she's creating value for others, and just discovering a lot of awesome things about life. So that's one of my favorite that's success That's awesome, stories. man. No, yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, I, I, cool. I think sometimes what we, we actually get this, we get this concept in our mind like, what am I supposed to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, As though yeah. there is an answer. That is so much pressure, man, to yeah. put on to put on ourselves. And we're just, and that's literally what we're doing is we're putting that yeah. pressure on ourselves. I'm not going around saying, I wonder what TK should do for the rest of his life <laughs> right right no, no one's actually thinking that about you and sure. they're okay if you decide i i want to shift paths and even if it's scary for them uh that you're making some sort of change i remember when i walked away from the corporate world i felt like people were more scared 
for me than I was for myself as though there was something wrong <laughs> wrong with me yeah. because they were like oh my god and I, a lot I of that's proje projecting their own fear too right right like, and I realized I had already gone through my own process of of that fear of accepting and, yeah. and, and, and realizing what, what what where my journey was taking me um, even though I didn't have what am I going to do for the rest of my life I, I had what was this next step for me and uh, and that was helpful and I think really what you're talking about here with Praxis or, or some of the stuff we'll talk about today is discovering what that next step is. It doesn't have to be the grandiose thing. What am I going to do when I'm 80 years old? Yeah. Um, although I can, that, that can be helpful. What, what am I going to say <laughs> when I look back at 80? Sure. And, and, and am I happy with how I spent this time here? Maybe that's a better way to look at it than can I do this one thing for the next 60 years of my life? Josh, uh, please, please, please. I, I beg you. Yeah. I beg you. I, beg you. I, 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 I want to speak to this what I got to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I, I was I was going to stop talking because uh, we should get on with the show, but no, I'm, I'm with TK. Go for it, Okay, so I, I have a theory on where this comes from. So whenever we make decisions, there are two elements involved um, to, when we evaluate risk. Yeah. The, the first is what's the probability that I'll get it right, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and then the second is, you know, what are the costs of being wrong, mm. okay? So if I'm deciding on something like what school am I gonna go to or what car I'm going to buy or what I'm gonna eat for lunch, the first is the probability of getting it right. Like what are the odds that I'll be happy with the choice I make? And that's a big factor. Right. But the factor that produces the most anxiety is the cost of being wrong. Mm. Whenever there's a low cost of being wrong, we're not all that freaked out about the odds. So when when someone is deciding on what they want for dinner or if they're buying a toaster, people don't freak out about these things. They tend to be very risky and very experimental because there's a low cost of being wrong. If I get it wrong, if I buy some cereal or a loaf of bread that I don't like, I can always just go back and you know, replace it. Right. But whenever the cost of being wrong is really high, well, you better get it right, mm. right? Because because th there's just a huge loss. So we worry more when we're doing things like buying a house or buying a car or when we're uh, choosing to get married because the cost of being wrong is really high. The traditional approach to education has artificially driven up the cost of getting it wrong. Because for the average person that's 18 years old, what's the cost of making the wrong decision about what you wanna do with your life? Well, the cost is four, five, six years of your life mm -hmm. and anywhere from 70 to $100,000. That's a pretty high cost. Yeah. So if you decide, I like teaching, and you go to school and you major in elementary education, five, six years later, you go out into the real world, and after a year of that, you decide you don't like kids. Well, that's a lot of time and a mm. lot of money you just invested into making that choice. So it puts a lot of pressure on young people to make sure they think really hard about it and get it right. And that's artificial because nature already has a built-in mechanism for us to discover what we like and what we wanna do. And that's called experience, that's called experimentation. Mm. And the cost of that is actually relatively low. And what we have to do is return to a way of educating young people that reduces the cost of experimentation so they can discover things in the way that human beings were designed to discover mm. them through experimentation. Well, so yeah, it sounds yeah. like you, what you're talking about is building in these these experiments that don't have the, they, they have some cost, but but the benefit of that cost is almost always going to outweigh what the actual cost is. Even even in failure, we, we learn so much. You know, so, so you and I have been going back and forth in text about the, the recent <laughs> NBA finals. And, uh, you know, LeBron James lost, what is he, three and six? No, three and five, something? I don't know. Three and six. Okay, three yeah, and six. Yeah, okay. yeah I know it. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, um, that means he's now lost as many finals as Michael Jordan has won. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not counting, though. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, 
and uh, I and I sent you this thing that John Mayer posted. He said uh, you should look at this LeBron James thing as a <laughs> as actually an encouraging thing because. Uh, re- regardless of the Jordan versus LeBron <laughs> debate, we, we can all agree that LeBron James is a great basketball player. One of the greatest of all time and probably the greatest who's playing today. And even if you know nothing about basketball, those are just facts right now. Especially and, if you know nothing. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but what's encouraging is, you, you know what? One of the greatest people can fail this many times, and part of that is what makes them great, is yeah. being able to to go back and say, all right, now I need to figure this out again. And what we're talking about for your average person who's 18 or 25 or 35 or 45, is that they don't have the same costs associated with failure as, as LeBron James. He has a whole lot riding on, on that mm-hmm. failure. We can fail a whole lot, mm. and it doesn't matter to millions of people like it does to... Uh, you know, failing like 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 LeBron James does. Yeah, it's you know I look at that that pressure we put on ourselves. Oh, I've got to find the one thing I want to do the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we have that ingrained in in us. Uh, I don't. If if you were to tell me, Josh, or if you're gonna tell, yeah, if you were to tell me, hey Ryan, uh, we're gonna be podcasting for the rest of your life, <laughs> and that's the only thing we're gonna do. Um, we're gonna you know we're gonna get out this uh, this special that we're working on, but but we're just going to podcast. Like that would be a little scary for me, yeah. uh, you know. With the minimalists, yes. Like we're the minimalists. We, you know, we talk about simplicity. We we go on book tours, uh, we give talks. But there's a wide variety of things that we are doing within the minimalists. It's mm. not just this one task. Yeah. So I, you know, I guess this is my way of just telling our audience that you don't have to pick something that you're gonna do for the rest of your life. In fact, I would say for the average person. It's probably uh, they're probably not going to do only one thing yeah. the rest of their life. Yeah, and, and so maybe it gets down to attenuating that time span pretty mm-hmm. radically. Like, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? What are you going to do for the rest of the week? What are you going to do for the rest of the year? Yeah. And committing to, to that time frame. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, obsession today as well, and and how obsession you know can obviously be a bad thing, and often we associate it as a bad thing. But yeah. I often think uh, you and I were having a, a brief conversation of the other day, and, and you were asking me about like my bandwidth mm-hmm. and how, how do I do some of the things I do and I say well I just get obsessed about certain things yeah and I I use that obsession to my own benefit before we dive into the questions today a couple follow-up items from uh, last week Ryan um well, we uh, we did that um, podcast about mementos and trinkets and, and the fresh the, maker. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. That's <laughs> we still don't have a sponsor. Oh, okay. Nor will we have one because advertisements suck. Although if we did do advertisements, right here is where where they would go. But um, uh, I've been doing these these uh, living room conversations. You've been joining me for some of them. We were just recording quick videos in my living room, mm-hmm. answering one question a day. Uh, throughout this entire month and someone asked me um, when is it okay to throw away my partner's things <laughs> and uh, so I answered that over on YouTube plus there's 30 other videos there you, you can find it uh, youtube.com slash the minimalists um, I thought it was a perfect sort of accompanying uh, video to last week's mementos uh, podcast and then also we forgot to mention this we announced the simply southern tour we're doing three cities in the south you're not the only person who's going to the south next month um we are headed down to birmingham nashville nice. and uh, louisville we're going to be with chris hogan and anthony o'neill and uh rachel cruz we're doing a, a three city tour we're talking about money and minimalism but there's one thing i forgot to mention ryan um 
Canyon City is going to open up all three events for us. Yeah, we got a, music. S- a special guest open. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah, he's going to come out. Um, Paul from Canyon City is going to come out and, and open up with some some music. You can find all the information of that over at our website, theminimalists.com slash tour. All three dates there. You can grab your tickets before they sell out. And one other thing I forgot to mention, so I wrote it down here, Ryan. Um, there are two types of tickets. You can get like regular seated tickets. And then uh, there are the VIP tickets, which get you sort of the best seats in the house. But also we do a, a pre-show meet and greet where we do, you know, photos and hugs and all that fun stuff. But we also, most important, we have a conversation. It's sort of a more intimate setting. Only like 50 people show up for the, the little VIP event beforehand. So you're welcome to join us for that as well. Theminimalists.com for all the details. All right, let's dive into these questions, y'all. Our first question is from Elijah in San Diego. In my 20s, I was able to go and buy a house, complete a successful career in the Marine Corps, gain the degree I thought I wanted, and build out the family that I was looking for. Um, The problem is those were my goals since I was a little kid, and now I'm left wondering what do I do, which I think you guys have recently discussed. So I'm trying to figure out how do I find out what is most important to me in life and how to shape my career and personal goals around what is most important to me in life. All right, so, so TK, it, it sounds like Elijah has some really good problems here. Great problems, in fact. In his 20s, he got the house he wanted, the career he wanted, the yeah. family he wanted, the degree he wanted. And I think that's part of the problem, right? We, we often think like, well, now it's a checklist. And I identify with that more than anyone because I am so OCD. I'm like, like legitimately OCD. And like for me, I feel so good. To, I'll put seven things on my task list just so I can check them off. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I picked up bleach at Target today. <laughs> I feel accomplished. And, and quite often we mistake accomplishment for meaningful accomplishment or meaningful work. Or, or we mistake productivity, you know, getting things done, go, go, go with something that is actually worthwhile. Mm. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. He He's saying, what now? Well, how do I find out what is most important to me so I can pursue it? Well, first I wanna say congratulations, man, on being in a position where you have achieved so many goals so early on in life. If I heard that correctly, he said he's yeah. put himself in a position to buy a house at 20, yeah. he's got the family that he wanted. Hey man, you know, kudos to you. I mean, you're, you're basically trying to figure out um, you know, you're, you're LeBron right now. You're trying to figure out right. how you're going to win your fourth championship. You know, yeah, now that I have everything I've ever won, and now what do I do? Right now that I'm living the dream, <laughs> how do I get that that second MVP award or whatever? It, it is good to contextualize it in that way to mm-hmm. know that you're in a good place because the foundation um, that you're going to be working from is 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 the sense of pride and accomplishment that comes from achieving the things that that you've set out to achieve. What I would say about this is I would prioritize discovery over dogma. Um, Mm -hmm. Discovery is when you look for what's interesting to you. Dogma is when you look for the right thing to do or the right thing to believe. And so many times when we set out to figure out, well, what's next? We start with, you know, what's the right answer? And when we run to mentors and experts and look for them to, you know, tell us, well, based on your personality type or your income or the city that you live in, this is what you ought to do. Mm. And, and, and not only do those guarantees not exist in the real world, but that's not always the best way to even arrive at an answer. Mm. You know, sometimes we, we take this scientific approach where we treat the truth about what we does, what we need as if it's some objective fact out there in the real world that we have to go discover. 
But I think there's another approach and it's the artistic approach. And that's the art of making things up. You know, um, and I, th- I think we have to give ourselves freedom to make up some of the answers. Some of the best answers in life are not a matter of right and wrong. They're a matter of, hey, this feels good. This looks interesting. That sounds cool. What's the right music to listen to? Is it my music? Is it your music? No, man, you've got to make this answer up. So it's it's part discovery and part art, you know, art. And so what I would say is, you know, I'll, I'll, here's a story I just recently read. Richard Saul Werman, he's the founder of TED Talks. He talked about at 45. He was a failed architect, failed entrepreneur, didn't know what to do next. And so he decided for the first time in his life, he would just give himself permission to indulge in his curiosities. And so what he started to do was, he started with just identifying places in LA, which is where he lived that he wanted to visit. And he would go check out different places and he would take notes. And he eventually started to publish them as access guides. And, And they were not his, expertise they were not like these are the top places in la you should visit it's just these are the places that i'm curious about and i'm checking them out and i'm taking notes and i'm publishing my notes and those things just went crazy and he began to make a lot of money and the next step he took is he said all right um you know what sounds interesting to me is just having dinner parties all the time where i invite cool intellectuals over and i get to ask them questions and pick their brains so he literally started having idea meetups where he got together with people and would pick their brain and have them do little presentations and that eventually went on to become TED Talks you know now what if he had said what's the right thing for me to do mm. right um but instead he started with his curiosity and he had enough faith in that i believe it was Henry David Thoreau who says that no one has ever followed their curiosity to the point of being misled start with what's interesting to you and and luckily you're in a position where you don't sound like you have the financial pressure to rush an answer or to do something that you don't enjoy doing because you need to pay a bill by this Friday. So take your time, indulge what's fascinating to you and see where that leads. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, man. You know, the first thing I thought of with Elijah's question was, is he clear on his values and beliefs? We talk about this all the time because for me, and, and I think for Josh too, I mean, that is, that's our foundation. So when I think about like what I truly value, it's, you know, health, relationships, cultivating passion, growing, mm-hmm. contributing. I kind of look at those five areas like, all right, which, if, if I'm feeling a little discontent, I'll look at those five areas and say, okay, which of these five buckets is, is uh, the most empty? Where, where have I been, you know, where have I been neglecting my values and beliefs? And that's usually where I will start with, uh, with taking action on something. Um, especially, you know, if he could combine some curiosity with this, um, maybe for him it's contributing. So, uh, he could go out of his way to maybe take his kids, make it a family thing, go out, contribute more, learn about some other nonprofits, uh, other things that he's been interested in. But yeah, just to just to totally agree with you, man. Like, yeah, I think that he needs to find what he's excited about. He needs to be clear in his values and beliefs, and just kind of explore a little bit. Don't don't put pressure. Um, the one thing I will say to Elijah: don't put pressure on yourself to make money from what excites you, uh, because like you said, you put yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, now I need to make money from something. I mean, it can yeah. really uh, throw you off course. Mm-hmm. It can kill the excitement. Yep. It can kill the passion that uh, Elijah's been cultivating. Um, but yeah, cause that's one thing he specifically said was, how do I shape my career? And I think, you know, what he does next mm. and how he shapes his career. I think that's two separate questions. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, I, I well, I, it reminds me of this essay that, that TK wrote and I, I was doing another <laughs> one of those, uh, 
I, I, I was doing so, so uh, tkcoleman.com like a surprise is, party when he does is, is <laughs> tkcoleman.com is his website and so you can find his writings there the praxis stuff is discoverpraxis.com indeed okay okay, okay. Uh, but uh, this was I actually was doing a living room conversation in, in here uh, I did a field trip to the office with one of the living room conversations someone's asked me like, what if I can't do what I'm passionate about as my work or, or, or whatever and and I, I, we get this question all the time and I think it presupposes that like there's one thing that you're supposed to do mm. or there's only one thing you can be passionate about. In fact, we you, you go to your average university. We've spoken at university. I've literally seen the successories poster on the wall that says, follow your passion. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like cool advice. Like, yeah, like <laughs> who doesn't think that's good, right? Sure. It's fairly benign advice. But the truth is that that presupposes that like you were meant to be a doctor or a yoga instructor or an astronaut or something. But TK, I'll just read a little bit of this. We'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Your personal happiness is not a career, nor is your career the end-all, be-all to your personal happiness. Mm. Yes, Mm. I know that your happiness is your job and that you're the CEO of your own fulfillment. Yeah, I've read a copy of Happiness as an Inside Job too. But I'm not playing semantic games here. I mean business. No one is going to pay you for your positive emotions and nothing that you ever get paid for will be responsible for every emotion you feel. Your happiness and your job will always be separate things, even if you have the happiest job in the world. Why? Because there will, uh, there will always be exciting, beautiful, and inspiring possibilities to explore that, you are not directly, that are not directly connected to your work that you receive paychecks for. I don't get paid to drink water, but I do it anyway because it keeps me alive. Ditto for eating food, sleeping at night, taking walks, watching stand-up comedy, checking sports scores, reading graphic novels, studying philosophy, taking hikes, visiting botanical gardens, and a host of other activities that are essential to keeping my body, mind, and spirit and relationships alive. No one wants to give me money for these things, but I absolutely have to do them. And guess what? I also love my job. And he goes into to, to, uh, mm. talking quite a bit about that. But uh, we'll put a link to that. But it reminded me of uh, the exploration that you're talking about and, and maybe not thinking about getting tied up in like the next thing I do has to be the next thing that I do for money. Mm. And the thing that I would add to that is and maybe the only other thing that I have to say about this is if I'm in his, if I'm in Elijah's position right now, the only advice I would give to myself is create more and consume less. Yeah. And by creating more, whether that's writing, if you want to start a blog, we have a great resource on our website, how to start a blog. Um, if uh, you want to start a podcast, that's a thing to do. If you if you want to you know, start a stand-up comedy or improv, that's creation. And that that's the creative process. And through doing that, you're inevitably going to fail. You're going to write that first blog post and very few people are going to read it. I know, TK, when you first moved here, you, you sort of started blogging just because. And you were just start, you started creating, right? And that led to several other things. And, and we have these little ripple effects in time that, that one little creation, if you create more and more and more, um, people start to find value in it. And they're not going to find value in everything, but you're going to find value in the process and you're going to learn what people find to be valuable. And then, of course, you can do more of that. Yeah. And when you can add value to someone's life, and if the more people you add value to, the more people are willing to support you. I yeah. mean, with the minimalists, mm. uh, we didn't sell anything for the first year. And, you know, eventually Josh and I were like, oh, we're the minimalists. We should write a book on minimalism. And uh, people were people were very eager. 
<laughs> people were very eager. People were very eager to go out of their way and support us to buy yeah. the book to uh, show up at our events. And and yeah, Elijah, um, find find what excites you. Uh, find how you can add value to other people's lives. And if you can do that, you'll probably find a way to to make some money off of it. But I just want to say, like, for for Elijah and anyone else out there, don't pigeonhole yourself into choosing a job that you feel like you're going to wake up and be passionate about every single day of your life. Because mm. I think when it comes to a career, there are two different types of approaches. It is, well, there are two of many, I'm sure, but here's the two that, that I think of is, you know, yes, you can uh, look at what you love. Um, let's go with the teaching example. I love, you know, mm. working with kids. I would love to be a teacher. Um, I'm going to go to school to be a teacher and I'm going to chase what I am passionate about. I, that's one approach. I think the other approach too is, okay, what can I do to earn a living, to put food on the table, to provide for my family, but yet still have time outside of work to do the things that excite me the most, to to explore the things that, that my family and I really, really wanna, wanna go out and do. It, it, the job doesn't necessarily have to be something that someone is passionate about. I do think that someone's job has to align with their values and beliefs. Cause I mean, you know, like if I found a job and it was killing puppies like <laughs> i don't know why that always comes to my head because i'm really against killing puppies that's yeah. why josh uh-huh but but that's if, why but you know if, if that's what the job involved like i every day i would feel like i was going against who i was i think that's where we can run into a problem yeah but me uh you know being a barista i mean i do happen to be passionate about coffee i love coffee but showing up and, and making espressos and making uh mm. drinks for people maybe that's not what i'm super excited about but if mm. i could do that 30, 40 hours a week and still have time outside of that to uh, to work on my health, to work on my relationships, to grow, to contribute, to cultivate a passion. Um, that to me is also uh, another approach. So yeah, just, just again, Elijah, don't force yourself to make money off of what you're passionate about. That's well, that's not the only way to do it. Right. I, I think that, that often we confuse excitement with passion too, right? I mean, we we get really excited about an idea and then of course when that excitement wanes as it inevitably does then we tr we just hop we we we, we uh, hop around to the next thing we think we might be passionate about because well, i'm not excited about this anymore i must not be passionate about it i think real passion comes from putting in the work drudging through the drudgery being willing to to fail through that process and, and realizing like oh just because this isn't fun in the moment doesn't mean this isn't what I'm passionate about. In fact, mm -hmm. real passion comes from that really difficult work, the dip, as, as Seth Godin would call it, and, and, and working through that dip until we get to the other side of it. Can I throw in something? Let's yeah. Do it. <laughs> so you know, I, I like that. So the, the root of the word passion actually means to suffer. And so the implication uh -huh. is, to, uh, is, is how much are you willing to suffer on behalf of X? That's what it means to say I'm passionate about X. Um, th that's where the whole idea of the passion of the Christ comes from. Mm -hmm. The passion is the willingness to suffer, you know, for the mm -hmm. sins of humanity. Um, so as an analogy, let, let's say, you know, for what it means to follow something. Let's say, I'm, let's say my dog is running away from me and I'm chasing after my dog. So I can be said to be following my dog, I'm pursuing my dog. And, and, and he's running around corners and I'm going around the corners. Everywhere he goes, I'm going. And then there's one point where um, my dog jumps over a fence and I get to the fence and I say, well, I don't wanna ruin my T-shirt, I'm not jumping over that fence. Am I following my dog? Am I pursuing my dog? No, I'm, I'm, I was following my dog, but I'm following my obstacle now. I'm pursuing my obstacle, right? Because, mm. because I stopped chasing after the thing, right? Yeah. And so, 
a lot a great example man yeah a, a lot of times people people are you know like to, in order to follow your fashion in order to follow your passion you uh, have to be willing to say about that oh, <laughs> that he wants to have sex with his mom <laughs> Yeah, but he said that about everything. <laughs> I yeah, think that's, that's what they, I think we have our name for the episode. Like, follow your fashion. <laughs> follow your like, fashion. Hey, yeah. what's that all about? <laughs> but in order for me to follow my dog in this instance, what do I have to do? I have to go beyond that obstacle, right? Uh -huh. I have to hop over the gate and go beyond yeah. it. If I'm not willing to do that, then I'm not a passionate person. I'm, I'm not pursuing that. So a lot of times we say, well, I want to follow my passion. And we, we equate that to mean, we equate that with meaning. I want to do what feel good, feels good all the time. Mm -hmm. But following your passion means pursuing what you believe in even past the point of your obstacle. Another thing, you talked about making sure things line up with your values. Mm -hmm. One of the negative consequences of placing so much emphasis on following your passion is that there are a lot of people who now buy into this notion that they are some kind of sellout for not doing something that they love. So you have mm. people that are plumbers and electricians, they're making a good living, they're providing for their family. They've been feeling pretty proud. They don't particularly love what they do, but they're, you know, they're they're content. Yeah. They're doing well. They're working hard. Um and now they're thinking to themselves, well, is this a bad thing? Should I be feeling more excited at my job? Yeah. And while I think it's totally legit to say I want to figure out a way to translate what excites me into an income, there's something dangerous about getting into a space where you're you're now feeling guilty because you don't think you're an example to the world of what it means to follow your passion. So just make sure that as you're trying to follow your passion, you're following your passion, not the passion you think you ought to have in order to live a life that's impressive to other people. Yeah, man. No, I totally agree. Like to any plumber or electrician anyone out there that's got you know this job that maybe isn't like sexy and exciting and it's yeah. not you know changing the world but if someone is in that role and like they are you know for all intents and purposes they're happy or they feel like they're living a meaningful life like that's everyone everyone who's asking these questions that's all they want yeah they just want to find something where they can come home put their head in their pillow go to sleep and say you know what like yeah i'm not i'm not uh changing the world i'm not making my dent in the universe yeah but i feel really good and let and and that's that's okay, but you're right, man. Like judging or not judging, but feeling judged, yeah. and starting to uh, look at how other people pursue their career. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble talking today. <laughs> I've been doing that too. Follow your passion, man. Wait, wait, here's, so, so, it, yeah. but it can, it can really it can really hurt uh, yeah. our yeah our pursuit. I think that that I have news for those people as well. Mm. Um, I make a living as a writer, and it is not exciting ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> um, in fact, it's only exciting because you know, the old quote, you know, writers don't like writing; they like having written, mm. and. Mm. And it's so true. Like I, there, I get to a point where I, all of a sudden I do feel really good or I feel accomplished. But I imagine it's the same way that like um, when I used to wash dishes, like I would feel really accomplished by like somehow I we got through the crazy dinner rush and yeah. all of a sudden like I don't know how we cleared all those dishes in <laughs> 45 minutes, but we did it and I felt accomplished mm -hmm. afterward. It's the same thing with writing. I think it's the same thing with any profession. Most of what you do most of the time is not going to be exciting mm -hmm. And that's okay. In yeah. fact, if it's always exciting, it's probably an indicator that it's too comfortable. Mm. And, and those obstacles create the discomfort you need to grow. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, one more. You're gonna kill me. You're gonna kill <laughs> Let's me. Let's do it. So, um, instead of following your passion, also experiment with the concept of flirting with your passion. So, as an flirt example, flirt with your passion. Flirt with your that. passion. <laughs> so, as an example, let's say some young guy comes in here and he says. 
hey guys, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm successful, I got a good job, but I wanna be married, I wanna have a wife, and I wanna start a family. What are some tips on finding a good wife? And then we started talking to him, saying stuff like, hey man, you know, don't worry about that too much, just get out there and meet people, live your life, do things you're interested in, try to make friends. That kind of feels like a consolation prize when people that are married are telling you that, right? At least it felt like that for me yeah, once once upon, my, once upon that, a time. Man. Yeah, it felt like a consolation prize, like, oh, that's easy for you to say, you already have your wife, right? Yeah. But there, there's something to be said about that approach because that approach actually protects you from something very dangerous, and that is, it protects you from going on a first date and being so obsessed with the end result that you say as you're getting to know that person, so where's this going? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, you're never gonna get anywhere with anyone if you talk about marriage on the first date, right? You're gonna freak them out and everything's gonna go wrong. Can't even talk about it on the second date or the third date. Now I know somebody's gonna be all on the YouTube comments like, well, I actually love it for a sight. There's always exceptions to the rule, but by and large, man, yeah. Yeah, but, but generally speaking, it, it sounds like a cop-out, it sounds like disappointing advice, but it works like magic. Mm. It, it's actually how things work in life, that you start at the level of not putting pressure on your relationships by saying where this is going, and you say, hey, let's just have coffee, yeah. and let's just have a conversation, let's see where this leads, and right. if this is fun, maybe we'll do this a second time with no pressure for anything else. And that's how you gotta do with your curiosities and your passions as well, if you try too early, to force it into something that can generate an income, you won't learn very interesting things about it that could be a pivotal part of that process later on. Yeah, I'm gonna say two things about that, but I'm gonna save it for our next question because, so standards and goals versus direction. We need to get to both of those because you and I have touched on those in the past in writings and I think now would be a good time to bring that onto the podcast and, and maybe have a discussion or even a debate with, with TK about about goals versus direction. But before we do that, Elijah, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's still my favorite thing that we've ever written. It's a memoir about five years of, of Ryan and I going from being these suit and tie corporate guys to becoming minimalist. But of course, it didn't just happen overnight and we didn't just follow our passion. We didn't just uh, quit our jobs and start a blog. <laughs> no, but but we... <laughs> We, we, and we didn't just walk away from one lifestyle. We found something to walk toward. And, and I think that's what Elijah is looking for right now instead of just walking away from one thing. In fact, Elijah has built the, uh, the foundation. Yesterday's accomplishments are tomorrow's foundation. He already has a really solid foundation. And wherever you are, you have some sort of foundation right now. And you may want to add to that foundation before you build on it. But in, in that book, Everything That Remains, Elijah, we, we talk about sort of taking the foundation and everything that we learned, the skills and talents that we had developed over a dozen or so years after growing up poor, then making it into the, the corporate world and being ostensibly successful and moving that forward to be to something completely different. And uh, and so I'd love to send you a c- copy of the audio book. If you like our podcast, you'll like the audio book version of that. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, we'll send those to you as well. I think you, you mentioned something. I don't know if you were uh, you know intentionally trying to be profound or not, what? but walking towards something. Like we, we walked towards the minimalists. It was not something that we ran towards. Oh yes. Yeah. And, and often, and I think Elijah's in the spot where he's like, what do I run to? What do I run towards? I got to find something to run towards. And it's yeah. like, dude, just take a walk. Yeah. And, and don't tie and, and, and we, we often want to run away from something too. Like I want to tell one to this corporate job. Sure, yeah. Like once I realize like it no longer aligns with the person I aspire to be, I wanted to run away from like a burning building. But here's the thing. It wasn't a burning building. 
It was a job that paid my bills that was helping me get out of debt. Mm-hmm. We weren't killing puppies that I am aware of. <laughs> uh, I, I know I wasn't. <laughs> but but the, the truth is, like I, I, I wanted to walk away from that and walk towards something else. In order to do that, you don't have to just sprint in, in the other direction. Yeah. That can lead to a world of hurt as well. It's a great point. Our next question is from Shania in Maine. I just had a question about how to accept the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. Um, I I didn't go to college, and I don't feel the need to go to college, but I often find it really hard to not feel embarrassed about not going to college because I feel like everyone in college is working towards something, and while I have a job and things like that, I feel like I'm working but not towards something and I just I don't know how to get there and I don't know how to not feel embarrassed when people ask like, Oh, like what are you doing? Do you go to school? And I'm like, No, I don't and I just feel a little judged every time I say that but um my mom has crippling debt her whole life and I'm that is just not something I like I think about easily and I just really struggle with accepting the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to do and I feel really pressured to figure it out and get all my shit together like overnight. And I I guess I just want to know how can I make those steps to one, accepting that not going to college is just not for me and not feeling judged, but also how do I how do I figure this shit out? You know, I'm only 21 and I don't know what I want to do and it's really getting down on me. Well, I have bad news. If you haven't figured it out by age 21... <laughs> Shania, do not listen to Josh. Well, actually, you know, it made me think of this essay I wrote a really long time ago. It's probably seven years ago. Uh, six, seven years ago. It's called When Goals Are Important and When They Are Not. And I'm just going to read a, a quick snippet from this. We'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. People have all sorts of clever words to describe what they do, what they want to do. Objective, target, plan, end game, outcome, goal. If you know me, then you know I was the goal guy when I was in the corporate world. I had financial goals, health goals, sales goals, vacation goals, even consumer purchase goals. I shit you not. I had spreadsheets of goals, precisely tracking and measuring and readjusting my plans accordingly. These days, life is different, and I no longer want any goals in my life. Instead, instead of an arbitrary target, I prefer to have a direction in which I travel. If you're searching for a sunrise, it's important to be headed east for a sunset west. I do, however, believe... There was a time in my life when goals were direly important, when I was in a hole and needed to get out. Truth be told, most of my goals were ridiculous or irrelevant, purchasing and accumulation goals, for example. But a few of my goals helped immensely, like getting out of debt or losing all that weight. I lost like 80 pounds. Uh, I liken the latter goals to escaping a crater in the middle of a desert. When I was fat and up to my eyeballs in debt, lingering in that bowl-shaped cavity, my goal was to break free from the sun-scorched basin and find Earth's surface. And so I tend to, to de- uh, I'll skip the rest of the essay here, but I tend to delineate between goals. Ryan, you and I often talk about, I wanted to, get to extend 
uh, T, uh, TK's point about Elijah's question, um, we talk about raising our standards but lowering our expectations. Mm. And I think one way to maybe reframe that for some folks is instead of having a goal, have a direction in which you want to travel. Right. Uh, if you're living in Dayton, Ohio, and yeah, instead of I want to end up in L.A., maybe it's I want to go west. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe you'll end up in San Diego or, or Seattle, and that'll be a better experience for you, and you're not so tethered to whatever that outcome might be. I think sometimes, however, the outcomes are important. Um, but in Shania's case, it doesn't sound like she has a massive amount of debt. She doesn't have all this weight to lose. There isn't this crater from which she needs to escape. The crater she needs to escape from right now is a self-imposed crater. She's feeling the pressure. But I think most of that pressure, maybe 99% of it is internal pressure. Um, and by the way, the external pressure that she's feeling, if someone is, is truly judging you like, ugh can't believe Shania is not going to college and racking up all that debt. Can't believe she's 21 years old and doesn't have it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, th those people are, are um, not just unreasonable, but, but they, um, their expectations are their own. They don't, it doesn't mean they have to be your expectations. Mm. You know, at, at, when you were talking about, um, you know, the standards versus expectations or, or maybe, uh, you know, changing direction, I think about how, you know, you and I have been talking about this book I've been working on. And yes, my outcome is like, man, I really would like to finish this book. Um, however, that that outcome is not really, uh, it's not really driving me to get the book finished. Mm. So what uh, you and I talked about a couple weeks ago is, all right, man, just look at it as setting three hours aside, one hour, three different days, schedule it in your calendar, and start working on the book. Just start there with three hours. And that, just in the last two weeks, has, it's just helped me focus. And, and what you told me too is like, as soon as that hour runs up, stop. Stop. Mid sentence. Yeah, stop. don't keep going. Yeah. But but I, I guess <clears throat> what I'm trying to share here is that, yes, like there is an outcome that I want. There is, I guess you could say it's a goal, but I have kind of removed that goal and have changed my approach. So now it's about raising my standards in the sense that I'm working on this thing consistently. I can look in the mirror and say, yes, Ryan, you've put at least three hours into it this week. And that will eventually help me to get to that outcome that I want. Um, but, but it's kind of removed that pressure from myself to have it all figured out right now. When we talk about raising your standards, lowering your expectations, I think you've... Uh uh, maybe intentionally or maybe even unintentionally. That's, this is what happens with standards. They, they tend to raise on their own. Once mm -hmm. you get good at something, you raise your standard. Because uh, when we first had the conversation, it was two hours. Right. It was one hour uh, twice a week, basically, and stop mm -hmm. at that one hour. But if, if you can do three, that means you've raised your standard. I mean, you're, you're talking about 50% increased productivity. I'll, I'll say one other thing, and I'll let um, TK jump in here. But L Lao Tzu, he, he said, a good traveler has no fixed plans and is not intent on arriving. Mm -hmm. And I think the book writing process is often that way with me. Um, I, I've started, since writing Everything That Remains, I've started four different books and none of them have turned into books. Um, but I haven't been intent on arriving. Uh, they, they, I knew when to stop, or not even stop, but when to set it aside and, and start over or start something new. And it's because my standards are really high. Mm -hmm. And the process of, of writing for me is, in many ways, the reward. Going through, th uh, through that writing process, for, for me, is, it, that is the, the outcome. You know, in many ways, is just sitting down in the chair and, and doing the work. And if it if it manifests into something later, then then that's great. Tell me I'm wrong, TK. 
I'm, I'm, cur- <laughs> I'm curious. You, you guys ever felt like that? Like, I have no idea where I'm going. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, well, it depends. I mean, um, I think I feel like that on, on little things all the time mm. even now <laughs> i just say i feel that now like not every single day but there are moments where i'm like what the, what the hell are we doing like yeah. where are we going <laughs> right and and um i think part of that has to do with not being comfortable with where we are right now mm. and 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 it goes back to that crater thing for me right like sometimes we we are in these real craters i, I had close to half a million dollars worth of debt in my late 20s um and and that I knew I needed to get out of that, and having a goal to get out of that was was important to me. But it wasn't nearly as important as actually doing the work to get out of it. Like the goal yeah. can be fine; we can all have the goal to be debt free. But so what if you don't do the work to actually get there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's funny. One of the best things about growing older, uh, with each age, you realize it to a greater degree, is that no one has a clue. <laughs> You know, we're all just faking uh, it. Man. We're all just making it up as we go along. <laughs> yeah. And w- w- when you when you go back to that distinction I made earlier between the scientific approach and the artistic approach, between treating all answers as if they're objective truths to be discovered versus some answers needing to be made up, it doesn't sound so scandalous, right? Like, how did we get a John Coltrane song? Like, how do we get how do we get music by Miles Davis? How, how do we get this kind of stuff? How do we get Beethoven? Not by discovering things that already exist, but by giving ourselves permission to just say, hey, no one's ever done this before, so there's no right answer for me to find. Mm. Let me just make something up and put it out to the world, and then later on we treat that like that's the right thing, like that's the classic that everybody studies. But <laughs> Well, yeah, know, and then also like you, in retrospect, it's easy to point out the successes, right? We, yeah. we, and I think that's the, the dangerous thing with nostalgia these days is like we look back and say, oh, you know, the, the 50s were so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you were a white male in the 50s, it <laughs> <Right>. was awesome. <laughs> um, and, and even then it wasn't awesome either because what if you were working in a coal mine? Like mm. yeah, th- there are these things where, where you're like, you, you, you look back to to the past and you tweeze out only the good things that mm-hmm. you remember mm-hmm. and you leave behind all the, 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 the actual, the reality of the situation mm. because reality is this co-mingling of good and bad and pleasure and suffering and everything in between. And nostalgia just plucks out the things that are conveniently pleasurable. Yeah. Well, one of the things, this is like a total aside, but one of the things when people are like, oh, yeah, the good old days, the good old days, people used to be so, you know, community oriented <laughs> and like, you know, you knew your neighbor. And like, I just want to ask whoever's saying that, like, what, when, when's the last time you've went out and done something for your, your community? Mm. Like, when's the last time you went to meet, meet your neighbor? And I mean, just to your point of people remember it how they want to remember it. Yeah. yeah, and and they want to throw blame on how things used to be versus how they are now, mm. and I guess this is my way of saying like we are in control of how we use our time, our attention, and now can be the good old days too. Yeah, yeah and, and <laughs> now will eventually be the good old yeah. days, right? Yeah, or the yeah. bad old days if we if we choose the wrong path. So so um, Shania actually her question reminds me a little bit of you have a person in, in your life, a friend or family member who who reached out to you recently, and they were like, hey, can you help me broadcast my voice a little bit on social media right i'm trying mm-hmm. to i'm trying to figure out how to use social media better and mm-hmm. you guys uh, have figured this thing out clearly you have it all figured out right which yeah. we don't at all we can talk about that but um and really what they were looking for was one of two things and i think quite often we as humans get 
caught up in this. We're looking for either, I need the six-step guide from A to Z to make this thing work perfectly. I want to follow these seven easy steps in your blog post, mm -hmm. and by this afternoon, I should have it all figured out, and 100,000 people should be following me on Twitter. You know, it's funny. So let's talk about that 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 way for a second um why do why do we want that as humans it's i think it's because well one reason like hey we want a clear-cut formula we want something uh we want to put our you know our, our head first into something that we know has proven to work but the other thing too is that we want an excuse to say oh that failed it wasn't me mm -hmm. these steps that was that, that were laid out in front of me they weren't the right steps and it's because of this plan that I have failed. I want to blame this other person it's, or this recipe as opposed to myself. I, I think what I'm getting at is, is like that approach is like almost it's absolving our responsibility of failure. Yeah. Essentially. Like it's, it's this like pre uh, this pre work that we've done to, you know, basically be able to point the finger if it fails. Right. And, and the, so the other path that they're looking for, if it's not the six step guide or the 14 ways to do blank, they're looking for the, Hey Ryan, can you do this for me? Right. You're good at this. There's an old apothem that if uh, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Mm. And, and, and because they clearly, the productive person knows how to you know wedge in another uh, another project or whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, the problem is, and I don't think Shania is asking this necessarily. Uh, but if she were to say, you know, TK, what are the six steps I can do in order to you know, not be embarrassed or to figure it out overnight or, or to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Like you could give her some steps, but they may not be necessarily the appropriate steps for her, right? Especially when we get down to the more specifics. Or if she said, hey, Ryan, can you figure this out for me? <laughs> there, there's no reward in, in no. any of that. A lot of the reward is in the exploration itself. Even if I if I waved, if we waved a magic wand right now mm -hmm. and uh, gave Shania a purpose, and let's say, like you know, again, that magic wand put her in this this perfect job, this role that you know she had a great question for. What do you do? Mm -hmm. um, she might just be calling and having Elijah's question. Mm. Well, now that I have everything that I want, yeah. <laughs> well, now what do I do? Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I did write down some uh, the six steps for her to take. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> but no, this is good. Like Sean edited out everything I just said. What I do love, <laughs> no, no. What I do love about that approach, though, the six steps, is that it is, it is at least a framework. And anytime I look at steps, this isn't an end all be all as much as it is mm. direction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So. For me, I have something that I call the mother of all advice. And, and the mother of all advice is that there is no piece of insight, no matter who it comes from or how awesome it is, that isn't fully capable of destroying your life if you don't combine it with critical thinking and creativity. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care what anyone tells you, it can ruin your life if you don't think for yourself and if you don't exercise a little imagination mm. when you're working out the details of how to sort out that truth in your own life. So never hide behind advice, never outsource personal responsibility, um, never put on anyone else the need to, to work it out. All right, so th there are a few things I wanted to say. So one of the things that inspired us to, to start Praxis was not just this desire to reduce the transaction costs involved in, in in education, you know, to take it from six figures to eleven thousand, the goal was to also reduce the social costs because for people that opt out of college, it's pretty much Steve Jobs or bust. 
You know, <laughs> if, if you yeah. go to college and graduate, mm. you can at least in theory be mediocre. Yeah. Uh, case in point, just go out into the world and find your own example. OK, mm. um, everybody with a college degree ain't happy. All right. We can just keep that real, at least that one thing. Yeah. But when you drop out of college, you say this isn't for me. You better be a billionaire. You know what I mean? Like right. you better change the world or we're just going to look at you and say, well, you should have done college. Yeah, you, um, you, sure, you, you didn't live up to your potential because mm. you didn't go to college. Yeah. If you graduate with a degree in anthropology and, and maybe you're, you're working at Starbucks and you don't want to be there like, hey, man, that's life. You know, it's a process. You know, like, let's just keep plugging away at it. Man, but, I remember this. So you do a podcast called Office Hours mm -hmm. with uh, Isaac Morehouse. Uh, you're working on season two right now. Is that yeah, coming yeah. out? Yeah. We, okay. we, we just uh, did the uh, premiere episode last weekend. Oh, nice. So, so I remember and I, cause I sent this episode to, to a few people. Um, you talked about how also the, the parents, um, mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the cost is also on the parents. Like they, they, we often say, well, our parents want what's best for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And your, your thought was like, well, do they really? Well, well I, I think in theory, we all want what's best for ourselves, right? I don't think anyone is consciously and proactively working <laughs> against their own self-interest, even if they seem as if they are, right? I don't know, my 25-year-old self. Uh... <laughs> Ryan tried really hard. <laughs> you know, but as the saying goes, sincerity is not a substitute for truth. And mm. the fact that we want what's best for ourselves and for others doesn't mean we're always working with the best information. And it doesn't mean that we are without conflict, that right. we are without tension in our decision-making process. And parents have all sorts of things going on too. And there's a social cost for them as well. Mm -hmm. Now we've got a lot of supportive parents of Praxis participants who, you know, they really get behind it for them and they really champion them. But even then there's kind of a social cost. Sometimes they have to take that defensive posture and say, hey, look, I stand by my son. I stand by my daughter. He doesn't want to go to college. This is right for him. And sometimes their friends will look at them a little weird. And so all of that stuff gets baked in. And so sometimes when people give you a hard time, it's not it's not because they're trying to be cruel. It's not because they're trying to be dogmatic. It's also because you're venturing out into territory that's not familiar to them. And that's a little frightened. They're a little worried. And when you're young, let's face it, this isn't a cruel thing. But when you're 20 years old, you haven't lived most of your life and you're pretty much unproven. You haven't proven your ability to provide yourself, provide for yourself over the long term. That's fair. You haven't proven your ability to survive the harshness of the world. There's a lot of crap out there to be dealt with. And it's not until you're, you know, sometimes like in your 30s that people start to say, OK, you know, this person's probably been through some stuff. Right. This person's probably been around for a little bit. Right. You know, so it's natural for people to worry about about you when you're younger because they just don't know how it's going to take um, turn out. So that leads me to my first point. My first point is don't argue. Don't argue with people. You don't have to be against something in order to be for something. Mm -hmm. You don't have to fight against what you don't want to do in order to take a stand for what you do want to do. And sometimes we, we confuse following our passion with hating our critics. Uh, Wayne Dyer referred to something called the sacred power of silence. And he says, whenever you have a dream or a goal, don't argue with people trying to justify your pursuit of that or else your energy will go out in the direction of other people's objections. And you need that energy for the creative process. Mm. So instead of arguing, let people have their opinions, preserve your energy for the creative process because ultimately the best evidence of what you want is are, are the results that you create. I wrote a blog post about this on the Praxis blog, discoverpraxis.com. The name of the blog post is A Note to Young Dreamers 
who don't feel supported by family and friends. We'll make sure Sean puts it in the notes. Yeah, and, and I talk about how you don't have to be disrespectful in order to disagree, uh, and 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 how to live an unconventional life even when people that you love are worried about you. So that's my first thing. Just opt out of the arguments. You know. Um, when you can terminate the conversation, exit the conversation entirely. When you have to be there, listen, be respectful, let people know you respectfully disagree, but don't argue. You know, think about think about tug of war. If if a person is pulling on one end of the rope and you're pulling on the other other end of the rope, well, you got a nice good game of tug of war. But if you let go of that rope, there's nothing that people can do. Yeah. You know, fall, well, they fall on their ass. Well, yeah, they fall on their ass. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I saw Michael Malice do this on, on Twitter the other day uh, where someone said to him, Michael, you're a jerk. And he goes, and? And they said, and you're stupid. And he goes, okay. And, and they were just like, uh, uh, there was no way to go with it, man. There's just no way to, he just dropped that rope. All right, so that, that's the first thing. Second, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna speed through these. Best piece of advice I've, I've ever received came from Peter Daniels who said, um, over the course of your lifetime, read a thousand biographies because in doing so, you'll build a vast vocabulary for overcoming incredible odds. It is absolutely important that you that you contextualize your life in terms of what has taken place already in history. Absolutely, I, I, I think the the most self defeating thought is. I'm the only one that's gone through this, or I'm I'm some rare individual who is facing for the first time in human history this particular plight, this particular question. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people who've dropped out of school, who've opted out of college, who are not you know, making six figures, but they're really happy with their lives. They found a way to carve their own path, and you have to follow the advice of Timothy Leary, which is find the others. You've gotta find those people. You cannot do this alone. So, I mean, it's one of the reasons why we built Praxis, to, to give people that kind of community. And, and one of the ways you can find that, like you can, there, there's a podcast called The Successful Dropout Podcast. Go listen to that podcast. Like. By the end of this year, make it a goal to have listened to the story of at least 25 people that have opted out of college. It's not going to give you the answers, but it will give you a sense of community and a sense of perspective. It'll also give you some templates, but it, it, or, or maybe some recipes, and you don't have to follow the exact recipe, but you got an ingredient here, 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 yes. and here, and all of a sudden you're starting to make your own recipe. Yeah. Absolutely, they're all pieces of the puzzle. Um, all, you know, also um, check out our Forward Tilt podcast and our blog at Praxis. We give a lot of advice to people who you know are, are looking to. Create their life opting out of college. Thirdly, and I only got four. Thirdly, um, refuse to be defined by your degree. When people ask you what you're up to, don't tell them a story about what you're not doing. Tell them a story about what you are doing, even if you don't know what uh, where that's going to lead in the future. I okay? call this I call this changing and uh, turning a noun into a verb. So so yeah. uh, most dangerous question: What do you do? Like we we and it's the first question we always ask people, right? But it pigeonholes us into your degree or your job title as opposed. And that, that's not what you do. That is yeah. a noun. That there's no yeah, verb man. there. What I'm the <laughs> director of operations. That doesn't tell me anything about what you do as a human being or even what you do in your work. Work, really what the mm -hmm. hell does director of operations for the assistant vice president president mean like right. it doesn't mean anything it's just this sort of jargon right and, and so why not instead talk about what you do in sense of like i'm passionate about this or i'm excited about this or i'm working on this or i do i do these things yeah exactly you don't have to you know give some full one-page explanation for why you're not doing something like college or anything else just talk about what you're doing I, I remember at one point in my life I, I dated someone for several years and we were a popular couple a lot of people knew us and and we broke up and you know 
for the first few months, every time I'd go somewhere by myself, friends would be like, hey, so, you know, uh, you know, where's that girl or how are things going? And I felt like if people presented a question, I was obligated to answer it in full. Mm. And so I would relive the story a million times over and I'd be like, well, this happened and that happened and that happened and blah, blah, blah. And by the time I'm done rehashing that story for the sake of their curiosity, right, I'm feeling pretty down and I'm feeling pretty defensive. I'd and put upset you in the it. same state over yeah. and over. Put me in the same state over and over again. And so at that, one that's point- That's what's happened to Shania right now. That's what's happening. asking her and she's like, she gets down and she doesn't have the the sort of defense mechanisms yeah. to try to deal with this. She just gets back into this uh, state of, I feel icky now. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of our fundamental rights as a pre-political given is that we don't have to answer every question that is presented to us. We have the right to redirect a conversation along more desired lines. And so what I did in that situation is I said, okay, wait a minute, man. My need to move on with my life is more important than the satiation of other people's curiosities. So even though I love my friends, I love the people from my past, from now on I'm gonna place a higher priority on where I'm going, what I'm working on, and not where I've been and why that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And so I started running into people and they'd be like, hey, so what happened in that situation? I'll tell you, I, I would just say, man, let me tell you what's happening right now. Mm. And, and you, you'll be amazed at how much people respect that. They'll say, oh, okay, yeah, tell me what's happening right now, yeah. you know? Um, and it works. So don't let people force you into a conversation you don't wanna have about why you're not doing something. Tell them how excited you are about the book you're reading. Tell them how excited you are or, or, or what you're learning from the job you're at or how proud you are about that. Mm. Last thing. Number four, give your bucket list a break. Here's what I mean by that. I, I think one of the plight of being, you know, as young as 20, is that you have a lot of older people that are telling you with all sincerity things like, now is the time. Because one day you're going to be married and you're going to have kids and you're going to have a bunch of external obligations. And without meaning to say it, we basically let them know that, experimentation, travel, fun, trying things out, that's over. Yeah. That's a wrap, You're right? 10 like, years from being fucked. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah, welcome to prison, <laughs> right? And, and we don't intend to convey that message. We're, we're just trying to let them know that they do kind of have a unique opportunity to be flexible and take a higher risk than what you can take when you have a family. Which is true. Which is totally true, and they need to know it. But, but there's another element that gets heard, and we don't intend to convey this element, but the element that gets heard is, okay, I got 10 years. To, to make sure I do everything that's important, to answer all the great philosophical questions about who I am and what the meaning of my life is, to go to every country, to find out my passion, because when I'm 30, my opportunity to do that is over, and ah, and so it, it compresses our life to this like five year time span, you know, and so now we gotta get it all done, and I think that's a big part of the anxiety that 19 and 20 year olds and young people have about figuring out what they wanna do, it's that, they've been convinced that they only have so much time to figure it out and get on with it because mm. they got to be locked into permanency at 30 and you don't. I, I speak to you from the other side and I tell you, yes, there are more responsibilities. Yes, there are more challenges, but life is good over here too. Yeah. And, 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 and there's an opportunity within marriage, within family life, within owning a business to explore, to learn new things and to evolve and give yourself that room to breathe. Yeah, I love that, man. You know, I I, got, I have written down here, um, it goes hand in hand with what you were saying uh, with number two about reading the biographies. I mean, I, what I have written down is find people you want to emulate. Mm. And maybe right now um, she doesn't have anyone that she wants to emulate. I think reading biographies is yeah. a great way to do that. Yeah. But ultimately, like if I was in her shoes, I would, I would find people I wanted to emulate. And then I would uh, find 
other people that I can associate with who are either similar to the people I want to emulate or they're into the same things that I want to emulate, but, but getting out there and finding a supportive group of people to help, uh, explore your curiosity, to help, um, kind of further, further your, uh, I want to say career, but like she shouldn't be focused on a career right now. It's, it's all about exploring and finding things that's interesting to her. Well, and, and the, the finding the people you want to emulate, but then also adding value to their lives is the thing that Absolutely. I, that I went on top of that. Yeah. I, I think immediately of, um, Justin Mollick, who, uh, has a great podcast called Optimal Living Daily. You, we went to the comedy store. He was there, yep. uh, and um, he's become a friend of ours now. And he just reached out, and said, "Hey, can I read some of your essays? I'm thinking, thinking of starting a podcast." Now he has this wildly successful podcast, mm. and it all started because he at one one he would read one essay a day, and it started with the minimalists essays, and that turned into a relationship where uh, we hired him to do the audiobook versions of our books because he's so good he, at reading um, our work, and he reads a bunch of other people's work like Derek Sivers mm-hmm. or or Brene Brown. I mean, he he just he he is great at finding these these essays to read and and giving someone this this sort of daily bit of knowledge that they can you know it's this little snippet of let me walk away with something but he came to us and said hey I really like what these guys are doing. Let me find a way to add value to their lives first. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this guy has good motives. He's not like trying to get one over on us or anything. He just wanted to add value to our lives. He did something that we couldn't do for ourselves and it helped us out. We've been friends ever since. Yeah, I'd, I'd love, uh, I found out a new element of that story when I met uh, his wife, Olivia, um, at the at the comedy show. Mm-hmm. So the way that he even started reading these essays and thinking about doing a podcast was he would read to Olivia at oh. night. I didn't know that. And she's like, man, Justin, you really need to start like recording this stuff. Like you have a really good voice. So, you know, just from like, I I just love that, that, uh, transition of like he, him and his wife had this, uh, this moment at night that, uh, he would read to her before, uh, they went to bed. Yeah. And that was something that they enjoyed doing. Right. Olivia just kind of mentioned like, you really should record this stuff. It's really, really good. Mm. So then he started to flirt with that a little bit and it's just this great, uh, it's just a great story of how you can take one small thing and just cultivate it. And eventually, and then eventually, you know, it turns into something. And he didn't plan on, I'm going to start this podcast empire. He has several different podcasts now. He has Optimal Business Daily, and he has several other people he works with now, and they're, they're recording several daily podcasts. And mm. he's 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 enjoying that process, but it just came from exploring that little bit of curiosity. Yeah. And oh, I kind of like this. Yeah. And, and yeah. eventually, and this is the last thing I'll, I'll leave Shania with, because I know we got to move on here, but um, <laughs> find something to get obsessed about over time but you're not going to be obsessed about it uh immediately Mm. and maybe the thing to do and this is something i learned from Derek zivers something i wish i would have done at at shania's age because you you were mentioning about like what tell people about what book you're reading right now or what you're doing right now start a now page Mm. Derek zivers uh i think it's now 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 now.com um that takes you to his now page or if you just go to sivers.org slash now it's like hey here's what i'm reading right now here's what i'm working on right now and one of two things will happen you'll be now be able to articulate exactly what's going on right now people say what do you do you can just go right into what your now page says for this week or this month or whatever or you're going to realize like oh i'm not 
I'm not really doing anything with my life. Mm. I need to do something that's worth writing about. Yeah. And that's where that's where I shifted from writing fiction in my 20s to writing nonfiction in my 30s was because I finally started living a life that was worth writing about. Before, I had to write about these fictional lives because my life was certainly not worth writing about at all. Dude, I've got this line written down, and I really... it's. I think it's a... Um, it's kind of too overarching, but you let me know what you think about this. If if Shania can pursue meaning, mm-hmm. the the more we pursue meaning, the more things will fall into place. And I'm not trying to just say like, all right, quit your job and pursue meaning. Right. But the more that we can focus on meaning in a responsible way. I think, and you can also find meaning in what you're doing right now. If she's if she's working as a barista, you can find a lot of meaning in that yeah. experience, right? Mm-hmm. I have great conversations with the coffee shop right across the street every single day. And yesterday, I've been going to that coffee shop for, I mean, ever since we've been in this studio. Mm-hmm. And finally, Daniel over there is like, I realized who you are and like I see you every single day and I saw your documentary like two years ago and all my and like it it all of a sudden changed everything Mm. but but we'd already built up this really great rapport and it had nothing to do with what I do creatively or for a living Mm -hmm. we just had meaningful interactions that were relatively brief and so it's finding meaning even in the fleeting moments yeah and if you could do that enough then all of a sudden you're going to feel a lot more meaning in, in the overall life so yeah it, it is it is a broad thing to say to, to say find meaning but what else is there to find yeah are you going to say find passivity that's not going to be rewarding for any of us right <laughs> no uh, there's a reason that, that we don't have twitter and instagram on our phones right because i'll just pacify myself with it all day you, you know one, one, one tag on to that is you know we, one question we can ask ourselves is what use is the ideal set of circumstances if you are not the person who's optimized for that right like for every great scenario we can put the wrong person in it Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I always dream of, like, taking the game-winning NBA shot, right? Yeah. But if you put me in that situation... Do you, do you, now, do you dream of, like, fouling Byron Russell before you do that? <laughs> <laughs> no foul. Those referees are paid professionals <laughs> when, when, when they're making the call for my team. But, but, you know, like, so, I mean, that's, like, my fantasy, right? Like, I, I dream of taking Michael Jordan's final game-winning shot. Mm. But, but let's just say the heavens open and an angel descended and said, hey, I'm going to put you in that situation right now. Well, that's going to be pretty embarrassing, right? I'm going to be on the map. I'm going to be famous for being the dorky guy that goofed it up. So <laughs> just because you're in the right circumstance doesn't mean you're optimized for that circumstance. Mm. But we often orient the pursuit of meaning and fulfillment around trying to procure the right circumstance. But the pearl of great price is being the kind, the right kind of person. It's pursuing experiences that help you become a vet, better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Because who cares if you get what you want if you don't know how to be happy with it? Who cares if you mm. get positioned where you have a good opportunity if you don't know how to capitalize on the opportunity? Yeah. And you That's don't have point. to have great circumstances in order to make choices that lead to that kind of thing. So do things that interest you that fire you up because that's the stuff that develops a sense of humor it develops wisdom it develops philosophical perspective and when you have that those kinds of tools then the world becomes more of a set of ingredients that you can creatively assemble into something it is that you like and you have the skill set to do so as well instead of just showing up to the kitchen and never uh bex my partner whom you met um she had a roommate in college who asked her uh, hey, can you help me make this macaroni and cheese? 
And, like, she realized, like, she had been sort of coddled by very rich parents yeah. throughout her entire upbringing. Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, first thing you have to do is boil the water. And she said, okay, how, how do I do that? <laughs> and realizing, like, you can yeah. have all the ingredients there, but if you can't boil the water, then yeah. you're, you're going to starve to death uh, mm. creatively, intellectually, spiritually. Uh, y- y- you're not going to, if you don't have the skills to mm. use those ingredients, then the ingredients themselves are useless. You're going to be chewing on some stale macaroni. Mm. Uh, mm. Shania, I'd love to send you, uh, well, it sounds to me like you need to redefine uh, what success is for you right now, and uh, that is not an easy thing to do. And I think, uh, I think success is perspectival. I think it's highly individual. One man's success is another man's failure. And uh, we have an entire chapter uh, about success in our book, Essential. There are the twelve areas of living an intentional life, and one of those is trying to find out how do you redefine success. Uh, Essential is a book with 150 essays in it. It's an essay collection uh, that Ryan and I wrote over the course of five or six years where we, we talk about these 12 different areas from minimalism to stuff to mindfulness to success and everything in between. I'd love to send you a copy of that on audiobook or Sean, if she wants the book book or ebook, please send her one of those. We'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or tip about goals or success or direction, then, uh, or including advice for any of our callers today, you can give us a, a call, 406-219-7839. Leave us a voicemail there. Or you can also send a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode. We'll air some comments and tips from previous episodes. Ryan, you know what time it is? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists uh, during the lightning round. This is where Ryan and I and now TK will all do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place, minimalmaxims.com. All right. Our first question is from Natalie. I am very... I am a very motivated person. However, even though I have some interesting business ideas that would benefit my career in dancing, I cannot get the motivation to just do it instead of planning it. What motivates you to work, especially if you're passionate about it? Well, my short answer is passion is one half love and one half obsession. Um, and, And really what I mean by that is I think of writing like if people ask me like what is your passion for me like that that is the the thing that I'm most passionate about is writing Mm. but it is true drudgery most of the time I teach writing class now and and one the one of the things I try to convey is like when you first start writing it's 90% drudgery 10% sort of payoff Mm. and that changes over time it's 80 20 70 30 eventually I think you get to a point where it's about 50 50 but even now even though I write pretty much every day it's still 50-50. There are good days and there are bad days. In the bad days, I still want to put my head through the wall. But on the good days, I'm thankful for those bad days. Some of the best writing days aren't days where I wrote 2,000 words or 5,000 words. They're days when I wrote negative 4,000 words. And I just did a lot of editing and deleting. But I couldn't have done that without all the drudgery of just getting the the composition side of things, getting it onto the paper, right? And so uh, for me... I, I love doing it, but I also I, I love the the result. But but I also 
I get obsessed about it. Mm. I'm willing to dive deep. And obsession is, is about going deep on something for long, sustained periods of time. Uh, the other pithy answer I have here is uh, perspiration trumps aspiration. That was my problem for a long time. I was an aspiring writer, but I just aspired all over myself and didn't didn't do any of the work right <laughs> and so so i i would say f it sounds to me like natalie needs to find the the leverage to obsess over it uh i mentioned derek Sivers a, a moment ago and he basically in his book talks about the the value of ideas being low but the value of action being really high and the last thing i'll say is is accountability partners or just having people in your life who will help hold you accountable i woke up this morning really tired and if it was just me recording this podcast i would have canceled it on myself but I have other people who I'm accountable to, right? TK is mm. going to be here. Ryan's going to be here. Sean's going to be here. I've rescheduled with all of them. And uh, Ryan's leaving tomorrow. Like, I know, like, okay, I need to show up and do this. Mm. And having someone here to help hold me accountable is, is helpful. All right. Mm. My pithy answer is an idea is worth nothing without action. And TK, I did not know that the root of passion uh, it was to suffer. And when we say, but let's hope I'm right about that. <laughs> you, you, you absolutely are. So you let's are. let's say, uh, I mean, that has literally changed how I look how I look at the word passion now, because when someone says I'm really passionate about X, well, now I'm going to ask, well, what kind of suffering have you been through? Yeah. So to make saying, to make that happen. Uh, when you say I'm passionate about something, I'm willing to suffer for it. I'm willing to suffer through the drudgery of yeah. writing to have written. So, so Natalie, you know, when I, when I look at her question, what I really hear her saying is, is I love to daydream. I really love to daydream some really big ideas, and I, I just don't have the motivation to, uh, to, to do it. And again, an, an idea without action is nothing. But the question is, is, is Natalie, what are you willing to suffer through to make those ideas uh, come to fruition? Um, sitting around and daydreaming, uh, we all do that. We all love to do that, man. Like I know I'll get a really good idea and I'll call Josh. Oh man, I got this really, really good idea. And, um, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to do this a lot. And Josh would be like, okay, great. Um, uh, let's look at what we have on our plate right now. Mm. How are we going to be able to fit this into what we already have? And when I started looking at it that way, well, I call you less and less now mm. because I know that an idea without action is, is nothing. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, the, the advice I want to give to Natalie is, Find that leverage that at least helps you take that first step. If there isn't a barrier in the way, I mean, if it's fear of success or whatever it may be, I mean, I think it's important to recognize those fears, but she has to find some sort of leverage to at least take the the first step towards bringing one of these ideas uh, to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the key. So my take on this is if you're passionate about something, and you can't motivate yourself to take that first step, then your first step is probably too big. Mm. And you need to reduce the size of that. Um, it, passion is a very interesting thing because when we say we're passionate about something, that concept tends to be bundled up with other assumptions about how a person would behave if they were truly passionate. So for instance, uh, you hear people say things like, well, I, I think I love writing, but I, mean, I guess if I really loved it, I would write every day. And since I don't actually write every day, I guess I don't love it, mm. right? Or I think I love running, but I mean, you know, people who really love it, they run five miles a day and I haven't ran all week. So 
therefore, even though my heart is telling me that I love it, I will logically deduce the conclusion that I must not love what my heart is telling me that I love. And so we get confused, right? Because we have assumptions about what a passionate person would do. And then we have like the visceral experience of being passionate. Those two things are bundled and it muddies our thinking about it. And you gotta sort those two things out and you gotta say, okay, wait a minute. If I'm passionate about something and I can't motivate myself to act on it, then that probably means whatever my version of acting on it is, is bundled up with these assumptions that need to be discarded. So if you're passionate about running and you can't motivate yourself to run, then ask yourself, well, what does running look like right now? You know, and and, and that that may be, well, running five miles a day, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, running. And it's like, okay, so back away from that and make it ridiculously easy to start. How, How does it feel to run for one block a day? Well, that seems like something I can do. Get out there and do that. But you know what stops us from doing that? The two greatest motivation killers, obligation and guilt. Mm-hmm. You're motivated to do something already, but then obligation comes in on one side and say it says, yeah, but if you were really motivated, you would do it 10 times more. Right. And then guilt comes in and says, yeah, I know you say you're motivated, but you only did a little bit and your passion is worthy of so much more. Therefore, your passion isn't really there. And you got to kill those things. So an example in my own life, I'm passionate about reading. I love it more than anything else. But I went for about six months of my life not reading because I was just so busy and I didn't have time to read books. And you know what the the breakthrough was for me is when I said, you know what? I'm just gonna read one blog post a day Mm. and I'm gonna commit to that no matter what. And you know what? Not only have I read every day, but I've had many days where I felt like crying because I feel like I am insulting this thing I love Mm. because I'm only reading. I'm not a real reader. I don't love reading because if I did, I would make time like all of those people who write articles about how Warren Buffett read 17 books a week, Mm. right? Um, And that's how we kill ourselves with it, man. But but you gotta make it ridiculously easy to start and be loyal to your passion in the way that you can be. Get rid of the obligation and the guilt. God, dude, that is so good. Well, it makes me think of that Rachel Cruz book that I'm going through right now. You know, love your life, not theirs. Yeah. And um, she just does a great job in the first chapter of just showing how comparisons will kill us. Mm -hmm. It will will really take away from our life if we sit there and try to compare ourselves to, yeah, we want to be a writer. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's look at how my favorite writer writes and what they've done oh i'm not anywhere near that so i guess i'll never be a writer like yeah it could be debilitating because it's like you know, my favorite writer is david foster wallace but i also know i'll never write infinite jest um and if if that was my my, my expectation yeah. mm. then it would just well just give up right now in fact most people can't even read infinite jest let alone write the book right but instead if i say wow if my standard, if I maybe I can one day craft a sentence that is like David <laughs> Foster Wallace, yeah. and, and then I and I try to do that. <laughs> you mean a four hundred word sentence? No, I mean so, <laughs> yeah, that's also true. I'm, um, I'm uh, I mean, I have there's an eight hundred and thirty five word sentence in everything that remains. Um, <laughs> but that that was also intentional, right? It was a shift in the book, and like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be this out loud thing. But anyway, um, uh, I'm getting too far away from that. But basically, what I realized, like there, there are these. There's there's this beauty, yes. And I don't have to have the 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 expectation I'm going to write infinite jest, but maybe I can write a sentence that that mm-hmm. is beautiful. I love that, man. I mean, even thinking about uh, like Hemingway, who's a great writer. Yeah. What is it? Uh, little shoes for sale, never worn. Like the shortest story. Yeah, ba- baby shoes for sale, never worn. Right. Something like that. So even that is something so simple, which is genius. It's like you can just take that little bit and be like, all right, can I make a six word story? Right. That is, you know, just as a, just starting with something really, really small. Yeah, constraints of, breed creativity. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about adding some, some constraints. I mean, I think Hemingway was radically overrated, but yeah. 
Whoa, I'm whoa. just saying that because put God, podcast shots here. <laughs> Josh just loves the ruffle feathers. No, I actually I don't think that at all. I, I think Hemingway is a very talented uh, author and, and writer, and I just like <laughs> I, I, I I like messing with the people I care about most. Um, <laughs> was, there, was there a name for the person who asked that question? Uh, yeah, the, uh, Nathalie, I believe was her name. I, I kept saying Natalie, but it's Nathalie. Oh, I um, thought it was just a weird spelling for Natalie. It could be uh, okay. either way, Nathalie or Natalie. Um, uh, one one thing before TK finishes up this question, so we can move on um My, micro uh, speed right? <laughs> simple uh, uh um simple triggers is is an essay i wrote we'll put a link to it on the website i do 60 pull-ups minimum every single day and the only reason i do that is is not because i have a goal every day to do 60 pull-ups because to me that's daunting even now i think about it, i'm like and i even though i do it every day i'm like to do 60 pull-ups or run five miles whatever it might be that sounds that sounds daunting but i know that i walk uh, below my the, the door between my bedroom and my bathroom at least 10 times and every time I walk below there I do six pull-ups and before I walk, go to the bathroom it's six quick pull-ups I'm done I walk back out six pull-ups and I, I do that minimum 10 times a day <laughs> quite often it's a lot more than that right yeah. and so and if not I just drink more water and it forces me to go to the bathroom more frequently and I have these simple triggers so so maybe the the other answer for Nathalie here is is what are your triggers? Like you want to do these things. You say you're very motivated, but but what are the triggers that are going to take that motivation and turn it into action? Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to offer this brief word of encouragement and say, at the end of the day, you can trust your own knowledge of what it is you're interested in. You know, Terrence McKenna refers to this as the felt presence of immediate experience. The knowledge of what's fascinating to you is not mediated knowledge. It's not inferred knowledge. You know it at the level of visceral experience. And you got to trust that. And you can't get inside your own head with, you know, fallacies like if I were really interested in the thing my heart is telling me I'm interested in, I would be excited 24 hours a day. I would be motivated to sacrifice my very life for it. I would be talking about it all the time. I would already have a book printed. I would already have three businesses built. Forget all of that. You know, your passion is your passion and your path for carving out a life where you can devote yourself to your passion is yours as well. And it's unique to you. All right. Our next question is from Sarah. How do you find a new direction when you realize you're going the wrong way? Hmm. Well, I I alluded to it in that essay I wrote. I just reworded this, but it's to make it pithier. You won't see the sunrise if you're facing westward. And and I think that, that ultimately... You uh, you realize all you have to do is turn around. We were talking about the walking away and walking towards something. I think it's important to know what you're walking away from, but mm-hmm. it's far more important to know what you're walking toward. Mm-hmm. That's actually what gives you the motivation, which gives you the leverage to move in that direction. And by the way, it doesn't require the full sprint in the opposite direction. That's going to wear you out. Yeah. It's just turning around. That's yeah, all that it takes. Yeah, man. I mean, think about, um, well, well, I'll say my short answer first. Uh, it's wise to stop and get a lay of the land before you change course. So thinking about going in a direction with my car, if I realize I'm going down, uh, you know, Hollywood Boulevard and all of a sudden I realize like I am going the wrong way mm. and, and let's say I'm in a hurry, right? Like, so I'm, you know, I'm speeding a little bit. Oh no, I'm going the wrong way. Do I just take my wheel and crank it? And just do a U-turn right in the middle of the street. Close well, your eyes. And well, hope maybe for the best. May, maybe in LA you do that, but most places you wouldn't just do that. 
but but yeah, right. Close your eyes and hope for the best. And I think when people are going a certain direction, they are running towards that direction, and they're putting everything they have into it. And all of a sudden, they realize like, oh crap, this is the wrong way. And because they have all this momentum built up, they feel like they need to just like shift all that momentum somewhere else. But sometimes mm. you just got to stop. You got to make sure there's no cars coming behind you. Find a nice spot to do a U-turn, and then you know start traveling in a different direction. So. Again, this is just my way of saying, Sarah, you don't have to uh, you don't have to take all that momentum and keep it going. It's okay to slow down, take a breath, and figure out what direction it is that you need to go. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think about this quote by Michael Carr that says, "It's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind." I think one of the most difficult aspects of you know choosing to quit doing something that we know is hurting us or hurting people in our lives or leading us down a bad path is that we're highly conscious of what we got to stop doing. Oh, I got to stop eating all this refined sugar, right? But we're not conscious of the freedom that we gain from pursuing a new path. So it's not just about, hey, stop think, you know, stop focusing on the negative and start focusing on what you're going to do, but also focus on the freedom that you're going to gain from what it is you do. Like the whole idea behind minimalism is that you minimalize to maximize that that you know like space is like this invisible container that houses all the things that, of life and when you you know like we can't see space because it's filled up with things but when you get rid of stuff you open up room for space right mm-hmm. and and you and and space moves from the background hidden by all of this stuff to the forefront and it becomes an environment for play an environment for the expression of freedom and the same is true with bad habits the same is true with moving in the in a, in a negative direction when you let those things go you're getting rid of the stuff that's holding you down and now you're freeing up space in your life for the emergence of creative ideas for the emergence of new forms of play mm-hmm. and that is a form of freedom that is so much better than having the answer to so what's going to come next yeah. so focus on that freedom not just on what you're going to give up because giving giving something up that isn't good for you is not without its reward ever yeah yeah, yeah I, I saw a quote just recently that said something about the cost of your new life is your old life and I think part of that is true, but but it's really understanding what you're getting for that cause. It's just not giving up something. No one just wants to give. The, the, people don't. People hate change. They hate being changed even more. Yeah. And, and and so when I, when we're walking away from this this old life. You're also walking, yeah, you're walking away from some of the good things that you said, talk about giving up refined sugar or whatever, like you're walking away from that flavor, but you're also walking away from all the negative effects of that so that you can walk toward whatever this, this new thing is. We got one more question here. And that is from Lau. Lau says, my tendency is to have multiple goals slash directions. What do you do when you have too many goals and they all bring value to you? Do you multitask or do you focus on one goal and then move on to the next? So if you'd like to hear our answers to that question, you can listen to this week's uh, Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast, available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. That's why it's a private podcast. So if if you want to support our show and if you want to help keep this podcast 100% 100% advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com support. In addition to the Postscript episodes every week, 
the Minimalist Private Podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events. We just put out Sydney and Melbourne, and we've got Detroit and Tampa and a bunch of others out there as well, and the entire back catalog of past private episodes. So if you become a supporter, you get the, that whole back catalog of over 50 private podcast episodes. And once you become a, a supporter, you also receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that... It plays in whatever podcast app you're using right now. So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Feedly or Overcast or whatever, this will show up. The private podcast will show up right there. You don't have to get onto some web page on your computer to listen to it. And as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to the general public. You can find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. The thought of living a life with no goals sounded insane to me. It was counterintuitive, it was scary, and it went against everything I had learned about productivity. In my corporate life of yesteryear, I managed hundreds of people for a large corporation, uh, an organization in which I was considered the productivity guy, the goal guy. I met deadlines, I overproduced, I exceeded expectations, I got results. That's why they paid me the big bucks, right? I regularly had umpteen goals in various stages of completion, short-term goals, long-term goals, personal goals, business goals, health goals, financial goals, vacation goals, consumer purchasing goals, you name it. I thought if I crossed enough goals off my to-do list, I'd eventually be content. All right, we're back. If you want to hear that full conversation, you can become a patron over at theminimalists.com. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the shows where Ryan and I both talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Ryan, I know uh, it was a week or two ago, I uh, I mentioned Pusha T's new album <laughs> because, uh, I mean, it's total juvenilia, but it's really well-packaged juvenilia, and he seems to not be able to talk about things that he didn't talk about at age 19. But um, <laughs> And I was hoping to come in this week and talk about Kanye's album, uh, which is like it's like top, every song is in top forty right now, isn't it? Top seven, all seven were top seven. That's, that's yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, all seven of his songs were the top seven songs. But it seems like a really beautiful unfinished thought is the way I would describe it. So I'm not gonna. Uh, it's not really adding value to my life. I listened to it a couple times and then it, <laughs> I really let it go. <laughs> uh, and then he and Kid Cudi put out an album uh, this week, and um, uh, it sounded like elevator music in a really she-she hotel that uh like remember they they put us up in this really nice hotel when we were in australia we were in uh, melbourne oh yes and they put us in this like really like too cool for school hotel yeah i feel like this album should have been playing on that elevator okay uh, so i can't recommend that either but um <laughs> um i do want to recommend uh tim ferris did a podcast episode with terry cruz a few months back um, you probably know Terry Crews. From, I know Terry uh, Crews. Yeah, it's, uh, he's the he's old a, Spice guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. But it was this heartfelt conversation about finding success and failure, and failure and success. Dude, and Terry like, Crews is one of the most vulnerable people. Oh my god, it like, was he, so yeah, he's, good. He's awesome. It was one of the best. It's probably the best Tim Ferriss podcast episode I've ever heard. Wow. And. Um, I don't say that lightly because I think he's done a real bunch of really good conversations with people, but he was so vulnerable and for such a strong man to be so vulnerable, but, but not weak. Right. It was, it shows you that, that weak and vulnerable are not synonyms. In fact, 
vulnerability can be a synonym with strength when we when we use it to our advantage. So, uh, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Ryan, what's been added value to your life Man, recently? Man, I think we might have recommended this already, but uh, I'm going to re-recommend it because it's, it's very apropos to this uh, podcast. Rachel Cruz has already mentioned it earlier, uh, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. It's just, what I love about this book is, A, like it really has helped me see how I compare myself to others. And I didn't even realize I was doing it's it. It's unconscious. Yes. It's like, it's these unconscious comparisons that we have. The other thing too, is like Rachel Cruz reminds me of us, man. Like we yeah. are not um, out here saying, she reminds me of us with a good childhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she reminds, but she reminds me of us in the sense that, you know, we are not out here saying we're the minimalists and here's how you be a minimalist. Here's how you be the perfect minimalist. And maybe one day, maybe one day you can be like Josh and I, I mean, that is not our approach at all. If anything, we're just kind of like fumbling our way through it and sharing our lives with, with our audience. And uh, Rachel Cruz, she just does such a good job of, you know, not pointing the finger and saying, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. It's about her own personal experiences with these things that everyone struggles with. Yeah. And uh, it's really relatable. It's a great book. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that because we, we got an event coming up with her in Nashville. And so I want to be well versed in her book. And uh, she has another one called uh, Smart Money, Smart Kids, which is which is also really helpful if you if you have kids and, and just starting to instill the... The, just the fundamentals of responsible money management, which was never given to me when I was a kid, starting that young. I mean, Ella's five now. She just turned five. And I'm already thinking about, you know, we're, we're already going through, like, she's understanding what the difference between a five and a $1 bill is. And, like, we're, we're just trying to, to go through the, the absolute basics right now. But, but building that foundation. So she has a, by the time she turns 18, she doesn't say, oh, well, now the right thing to do is go on. I don't know what I want to do with my life, so I should take on $100,000 worth of debt. Right. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, well, I'll definitely dive into both of those books, and we'll talk to her about them when we do that event with her TK, in, in Nashville. TK, do you, got a, uh, do you got a favorite album you're listening to right now? Or a favorite book? Or a or... favorite book? If not, no worries, man. We're kind of putting you on the spot. Um. Yeah, so <laughs> do I go with? Well, have I told you guys? Both. Have do I told you guys about my quirky music thing? No, no, man. Uh oh, <laughs> this might be the end of tell our us, relationship. Tell us here. I mean, I, in front of hundreds of thousands of people. I, I heard, I heard Coltrane <laughs> and Davis. So uh, I, I have no idea. So I'm definitely a jazz fan, but uh, I kid me you. Me too. Utah jazz all the way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid you not. 365 days a year, without exaggeration, I listen to Christmas music. I love it, dude. What? Yeah. yeah, it's not the only kind of music, but I listen to Christmas music all year round. Why? Um, so the 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 surface answer is that the the energy of Christmas music is just pure. It always feels good. It's you know puts you in a good mood, man. Yeah, it, it's yeah. incorruptible, man. Like, <laughs> and, and, and here's my way of describing it: any kind of music you like, technically, I can take it and put it in a horror movie. And with the right scene, I can creep you out with it, uh, right? One, two, Freddy's coming for you, right? It yeah. would seem like, wow, man, that's like a, an innocent children's song, and you just creep me out with it by putting it in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Christmas music, you cannot do that. Mm. It is incorruptible, man. It's incorruptible. <laughs> and it's the only form of music that is that way. So that's if you great. put on Santa Claus is coming to town or you know Winter Wonderland in the middle of April, um, you'll just have a good time. So. <laughs> I love it. That's great advice. Like if you're feeling down, put on some Christmas music. I uh, love it. Dude, I love it. I'm going to try it next time. All right, let's uh, give it a go. I'm feeling a little down. Give it a go. Uh, is, so is, is there one, is there a Christmas album that we should put in the show notes for anyone? Like a best of? Is it Michael Blue Blay every time? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Is it William Shatner? <laughs> 
365 days a year, listen to William Shatner's Christmas album. <laughs> I'll give you one song because I think this is too much to ask of All people right. to okay. give them a whole album. Yeah. But just if you're going to listen to one song, uh, let's go with uh, Johnny Mathis' Sleigh Ride. All right. All right. And see if you don't feel a little All right, happier. Man. Hey, Sean, can we take out the podcast uh, in the podcast today with Johnny Mathis' Sleigh Ride? <laughs> All right, let's move on to, uh, to right here. Right now, this is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So we got a few things going on. Uh, the podcast, we've got some some guests coming on. Ryan's going to be gone next week, and I'm bringing in my doctor. Well, uh, two of them, actually, uh, from Nourish, Balance, Thrive. So for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know I've gone through a whole bunch of health problems uh, from C. diff in my gut, which kills 14,000 people a year in the United States, to uh, mercury poisoning, to the really bad back problems. My hormones were out of whack, and I had a whole bunch of other problems. We're going to get really, really detailed and intimate on this, and uh, we're going to talk about health problems and uh, what I've done what I've done to work really hard to fix them over the last uh, two, three years. Mm. And so uh, the folks from Nourish, Balance, Thrive will be on next week. And after that, we're going to have uh, Ryan Delk from Omni is going to be on the podcast. So Omni is this company who, who uh, they're only in a few cities right now, but I, Ryan and I have been talking about Ryan Nicodemus and I have been talking about this for a while, how we're shifting from this culture of ownership to a culture of access. No longer do I need to own yeah. the the Christmas albums uh, all on my shelf. I don't need to have a hundred of them. I can have them all in my pocket, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have access to them. That's more important than having ownership, right? Yeah. And now we're seeing that with uh, the share economy uh, or what I would just call the access economy like Lyft and Uber. And, and, and we're, we're seeing these technologies, how they're allowing us to own fewer things but have access to more things. I mean, growing up, I didn't have to have a basketball court in my backyard in order to play basketball. There was a park right down the street. And so I'd go to the, the park and, and play basketball there. Uh, you didn't have to have a pool in your backyard to go swimming if there was a community pool available um, or some sort of membership that you could sign up for. And now this, this company called Omni, they're trying to do that with our everyday stuff. Mm. And I want to dive deep with him. Uh, Nicodemus will be back for that. So we'll talk to Ryan Delk about that mm. as well in a couple weeks. So that's what's going on with the podcast. Also, uh, every day we're doing a living room conversation. Maybe if we have enough time, TK, you can join us for, we'll do an off-site living room conversation. We're answering one simple living question per day over on YouTube. You can find all of those over at youtube.com slash the minimalist. A lot of really good questions have been answered and obviously a lot of bad questions too, but we're not picking those. So we're picking the really good questions and we're answering those. And Ryan, you and I just did one yesterday about how do you deal with criticism? And so we, we did a, a bit of a deep dive on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, living room conversations over on YouTube. I'm also spam you guys and submit that? questions like why is Michael Jordan the greatest of all time? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that video will start with well actually <laughs> which one of his many attributes makes them the greatest? <laughs> I mean I think he's definitely top five. <laughs> oh, <God>. Killing me. <laughs> uh, Simply Southern Tour. We're headed uh, we're headed down south. We're gonna be in Alabama and Kentucky and uh, Tennessee. We're gonna be with Chris Hogan and Rachel Cruz and Anthony O'Neill. We're going to talk about money and minimalism on this tour. So the whole Dave Ramsey team is going to be with us. Theminimalists.com slash tour for all the details. Looking forward to chatting with them on stage at all three of those events. 
And uh, oh, uh, and then I think that's this coming weekend. Uh, when this is coming out, yeah, this weekend, uh, I'm gonna do my first and maybe even only writing workshop of the year. I tend to do two a year, so I might do one more this year. But I do a, I teach a four week writing class, and in that writing class, we we go over a whole bunch of stuff. But I realize not everyone has the money or the time to spend four weeks on a writing class, uh, so I do a two hour live writing workshop online. It's called How to Write Better. And uh, that's June 24th. If you can't attend a live event, don't worry. Um, there'll be a video available afterward. And I do a Q&A at the end. So the only thing you'll miss is the, the Q&A at the end, although you'll get to see the recorded Q&A. It's called How to Write Better. You can find all the details of that over at theminimalists.com slash workshop. And uh, if, if you want to get all the show notes to these episodes, then uh, just go to theminimalists.com, enter your email address at the top, We'll never ever send you spam, just the show notes and of course any new essays that we write, those will go right to your inbox. And uh, Ryan, you got anything else for us? Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Jennifer in Rochester, New York. I have two short comments. One is to Katrina, who was on podcast 43. She had a question about the wedding gift. I just wanted to remind everybody that instead of asking for experienced gifts or not asking for gifts, you can also ask for donations to your favorite charity. My cousin did this at her wedding, and it was wonderful. You could leave a donation, and you could leave your name along with the donation, so they would know that you gifted to them. Concerning your podcast with Rich Roll, I wanted to remind everyone about the grocery store Aldi. If it is in your city, please check it out. They're having a larger and larger assortment of organic foods. They have grass-fed beef you can purchase, and it's very affordable. Hello, minimalists. My name is Malia, and I live in Victorville, which is a small city in California. I just wanted to help everyone out there and let them know that if you hate daily planners and you feel like it's a clutter bug and you don't like it and it's too restrictive for you, I would like to suggest a bullet journal. You can look it up on Pinterest or online. I find that Pinterest keeps me the most creative. But it helps you plan out your day and use blank pages to your best interest. And so I can write whatever I want on any page and still plan out my week, my meals, my grocery list. And it puts everything that I want, all of the lists, all of the little notes, all of you know the sticky notes that I would keep around my house. It keeps them all in one place. And having one book for everything, because it's a blank page book and you get to write it in, not only keeps me creative, but keeps me organized. So for everyone out there who's trying to be more intentional, but you take a lot of notes, use a bullet journal. Hi, this is Brooke from New Brighton. I was calling in response to the latest podcast, episode 133, Constraints. I'm responding to Derek's question about wanting to travel more, but feeling constraints since he shares custody of his daughter. Josh had mentioned on the podcast how he found a school that was more flexible with Ella's absences. My suggestion for Derek is to look into cyber charter schools. There are many cyber schools um, for kindergarten through 12th grade now um, that are either within a state or, with, or a few that are countrywide. I think that is something worth looking into and might provide him the flexibility um, or opportunity to travel or even take his daughter with him in that case. Um, I actually work for a cyber school in Pennsylvania and love it. I think it is a great option, and it provides me with flexibility I never thought was possible with a profession in teaching, 
but I also see um, the view as a teacher and how it provides a lot of flexibility um, for students and they have opportunity to travel and do other things that otherwise wouldn't be possible. All right, y'all. That's almost it for this episode. I want to thank TK for being here today. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. We'll put a a link to your website, tkcoleman.com. Also, discoverpraxis.com for folks who are interested in that. Also, your new podcast, Season 2 of Office Hours, is starting up right now. So you can go back, catch up on Season 1. I highly recommend it with you and Isaac. And next time Isaac is in Los Angeles, tell him to come on out. We'll uh, we'll get both of you in here or just him I, I, either way, and he can help us answer some questions. Check that out wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so much for being here with us, man. It's hey. always a pleasure. Yeah, hey, it's man. always fun. Thanks for having me, really guys. Appreciate it, Heck yeah. yeah. So, all right, y'all, if you have a, um, a question for The Minimalist, you can give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also send a voice memo right to your right, 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 right from your phone. The, uh, I think the record just skipped, right? Yeah, man. I, I, it's like podcast. It's like your programming had a bu- bug in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Westworld and they start freaking out a little bit. The robots start going weird, and it's like, uh oh, he's shutting down. Uh, right from your phone, podcast at theminimalist.com. If you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this: love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go, let's look at the show. We're riding in a wonderland of snow. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, it's grand, just holding your hand. We're gliding along with a song of a wintry fairyland. Our cheeks are nice and rosy and comfy, cozy are we. We've snuggled close together like two birds of a feather would be. Let's take that road before us and sing a chorus or two. Come on, it's lovely weather for us, they ride together with you. There's a birthday party at the home of Farmer Gray. It'll be the perfect ending of a perfect day. We'll be singing the songs we love to sing without a single stop. At the fireplace where we'll watch the chestnuts pop. There's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy When they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie It'll nearly be like a picture print by courier and eyes These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling too Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go, let's look at the show. We're riding in a wonderland of snow. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, it's grand, just holding your hand. With a song of a wintry fairyland Nice and rosy and comfy, cozy are we We've snuggled close together like two birds of a feather would be 
Let's take that old beat for us and sing a chorus of two. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. 